This, this is the Second Second Story Podcast. Welcome back to the Second Story Podcast. I'm Max Spitz. This episode will be our last release of 2023. With the new year coming up, I'm drawn to thinking about resolutions. I've never been one to make grand plans or checklists, but I have always enjoyed the prospect of laying out broader goals for myself. I like the idea of using the somewhat arbitrary moment of a new year as an excuse to try and better myself. In this week's story, two company members, Megan Steelstra and Amy Tin, share some of their own moments of working towards living their best lives and how they've been there to lift each other up when that prospect seemed farther away. Recorded live at Haymarket Pub and Brewery in Chicago in September 2023, Second Story is proud to present You Can't Lose a Fight. newly 22 and I'm entirely convinced that I'm an idiot or a masochist. I've been spending the past several months, honestly, the past few years wrestling with one big question. How could I pursue an MD, PhD and still be a writer and an artist? Where do you fit creativity between residency and the soul-crushing, heart-bruising dread of doing a job you don't want? That's what I needed to ask Megan, my former college professor. She was juggling parenting and teaching at multiple schools and writing and performing. She had written books. If anyone had the secret key, it had to be her. So I was sitting in Megan's office trying to explain to her why exactly I had to be a writer and had to be a doctor and an artist. All the children in my generation were expected to achieve, to honor the sacrifices our parents made when they fled communist Vietnam. My parents never shied away from driving that point home as we took walks around the neighborhood on Saturday nights or over dinner when my mother would drop some gajim jian into my bowl of rice. Your father and I would leave our first job and then clean buildings for half the night and then take the bus home. 18 hour days just so we could stay here in America. I felt the tension in my shoulders and my heart thudding in my ears as I outlined the hierarchy of good Asian daughterhood. So at the top, it's straight doctor followed by a straight pharmacist or dentist, which is about level with a queer doctor, straight engineer here, straight lawyer much lower. If I keep heading towards queer tattooed artists, that's equivalent to a criminal. I knew that being queer would end up with my disowning. But if I put on the white coat, maybe they'll take me back. I should compromise, right? Megan stared at me. She saw me. You can't lose a fight about your own happiness, she said. You can't lose a fight about your own life. When I was 19, My grandfather and I got into a fight about abortion. It was Thanksgiving dinner, which is a terrible time to throw down about politics with one's extended family. (laughs) But there we were at this beautiful table set with my grandmother's beloved blue china. I'd just returned to the Midwest from my sophomore year in Italy where I'd spent a deeply confusing month thinking I was pregnant. One doctor said I was, another doctor said I wasn't. The latter was true in the end, but I had already gone through the decision-making process. For some, this choice is devastating. 
for me, it was easy, an exhale. Still, I wasn't going to tell anybody that story, especially my grandparents at Thanksgiving. I stuck to the bigger picture, safe and affordable birth control, a woman and her doctor. It wasn't long before we were yelling, my grandpa about his faith, me about my future. I remember slamming the table. I remember breaking plates, blue shards of china in my hands. It felt good. Anger is easier than language. But then I saw my grandmother's face. Oh, I'm so sorry, I said. I love your dishes. She hugged me. I could hear her heartbeat. This woman had borne four children and raised three. She knew the complexities of childbirth. A few months later, my grandfather sent me a letter. In his careful high school handwriting, he told me he'd been thinking about our discussion, and he was proud of me for standing up for myself. You can't lose a fight about your own happiness, he wrote. You can't lose a fight about your own life. I didn't know how long then I would carry those words, handing them down to students and friends and holding them tight when my own heart hurt. I, I only knew that my grandpa was trying a man of his generation, his service in World War II, the years working on his father's farm, his relationship with his God, and he was listening to me. He was trying to meet me, maybe not in the middle, but somewhere. My grandfather, Omwai, was a fortune teller. He could read your future and personality in your face, laying bare your heart. Basically, he read you for the filth you were. <laughs> He passed his gift to my mother, who reads playing cards, and to me with tarot and dream work. He'd tell me the munyoi, the freckles on the side of my face meant luck and success, Suhanpo. Before Ongwai died several years ago, he was lucid for one final conversation with me and my cousin. He was laying in a hospital bed so cold, his skin crinkled and cold like old folded letters. He was smaller than I had ever seen him. So close to death, he was seeing ghosts. We held his hands and massaged lotion into his nicotine-stained fingers. He wanted both of us to follow our hearts, not our parents. It wasn't until after the funeral that I noticed he had used gender-neutral pronouns to describe my future partners. Actually, he had always said or person you will marry instead of jong or husband. I never specifically came out to him. I don't know what, if anything, my aunties told him when I came out years ago, or what he knew when my parents disowned me, or after they reclaimed me. It felt like the wrong thing to ask when he was slipping away. In his own quiet way, he had supported me and loved me. What a gift to have that from someone older, someone more conservative than my parents, someone who was such a formative part of my childhood. What a loss to only realize it when he was already gone. I was a, at a writer's festival in Florida. Heat, sun, ocean. My body knows lakes and rivers, so salt is always a shock. <clears throat> I walked in burning sand and drank a lot of whiskey and talked about stories with smart people hungry for language. They lit a fire under my ass. I did my best to return the favor. So on the third day, I got up on stage and I told them a story. My sophomore year in college, study abroad in Italy, scared and alone in a bathroom stall. I peed on the stick. I counted down three minutes, the longest of my life. 
Now, I've told this story often, so much so that it is no longer mine. It belongs to the people who carry it. At the reception after the reading, wine, cheese cubes, talk to the writer. A woman approached me. She was in her late 60s, 70s maybe, and she had only one arm. Where there had once been one was now just a ribbon around an empty sleeve. We went off to a corner and she told me that when she was 14 years old, she'd had an abortion. She'd never told anyone, but she was telling me because I had told mine and that made her brave. She reached over and grabbed her dangling sleeve then. This happened years later, she said, and then she broke my heart. She said that God took her arm to punish her for that abortion. Now, shame is a hell of a thing. You know, we all carry it. Our bodies, our failures, our secrets, our relationships. I, I held my hands out to this woman and I asked if she'd let me hold her story. You have been carrying it for so long, I said. It's too heavy to carry by yourself. She reached one hand to her chest, and I, I don't know how else to describe this. She pulled her heart right out of her ribcage and she set it in my hands. And the release, or maybe the relief was visible tangible. Her body unfolded like she'd been holding a planet on her back and could finally, Jesus, after decades, set it down. She cried then. I cried with her. Two women in an art gallery with the wine and the cheese crying and crying and crying. And everybody was staring at us, but who gives a shit? We were perfect. The bell rings and the students gather their backpacks and books to head to their next class. This was our last session at Roosevelt High, a six-week residency with their freshman honors English class. Second story was a piece of their Who Am I unit, an opportunity for the students to work on personal narrative and define themselves how they wanted to, not how their parents or teachers or society might. Amanda and I are lingering in the room and she's chatting with their teacher, Dr. Farrell, about their next lesson. I bend over to grab my bike helmet and I feel a tap on my shoulder. It's Jessica, one of the quiet ones, not that she wasn't engaged, she paid attention, just not a volunteer. She's holding a textbook tightly against her chest like a shield. Can I tell you something? She ducks her head, black ponytails swinging, backpack straps slipping off her narrow shoulder. Sure, the teaching artist and me will take participation at any time. <laughs> her voice gets even quieter and she pulls at the edges of her hoodie, covering more of her brown wrists. I liked your story. She's referring to moments of silence, the story we opened with where I talk with Megan about how to come out to my parents, both as not a doctor and as queer, and she gives me that mantra. You can't lose a fight about your own happiness. So I'm gay too, and I haven't really told anyone yet, not my parents. She pauses. I know this pause. I hear it all the time after performing this story, the pause of, how do I know when? How do I tell them? You don't have to come out now, you know, I say. Do it when you're ready and when you feel safe, financially, physically, and emotionally. She nods. She's not ready yet, and that's okay. Thank you for telling me. A little smile, a little sigh. Can I give you a hug, she asks. <laughs> Of course. My arms open and she pushes in and now I'm, I'm trying not to cry because I'm supposed to be the stable, happy version of a queer person she's aiming for. <laughs> it's, 
a big hug, a real hug, the kind that's so tight that it feels like your rib cages are interlocked, so close you can feel each other's hearts beat. I'm trying to tell her everything I needed to hear when I was her age with this hug. I see you. You're okay. When you're older, you'll have the whole world waiting for you. There will be days when you can't stop crying, but you can get there. We let go, and I say, you'll figure it out. She steps away, but turns around at the door. Thank you. That story breaks people open. Once it gave a woman courage to spend a year coming out to her colleagues and family so that she could propose to her now wife at a second story show. I can't count the numbers of times people have talked to me about their sexuality or their gender or their families or their careers after that story. Never gets old. The seeing, the listening, the sharing our stories until our heartbeats sink here, together, right now. All of us living inside the same moment. Do you remember your life before Zoom? <laughs> In the before times, Zoom was a filmmaking effect that magnifies an image. <laughs> it, was the, it was the sound that my son made when he was little and played with toy cars. It was the soundtrack to that Mazda commercial. I'm sorry if it's in your head now. Um, it was an electric light orchestra album that a guy I dated in 2001 listened to on repeat. And it was, it was this great Jenny Slate line. I have faith that I will catch on to the things that help me Zoom. Second Story did our first Zoom show in June of 2020, trying to reach through laptop screens and grab a hold of each other. In addition to the mountains all of us were trying to move, my husband had left me a few months before, and my then 12-year-old son and I were living in my mother's basement in rural Michigan. In the story I told on Zoom that night, I said the words out loud. He left. I wager some of you know what that feels like. I mean, who among us hasn't had our hearts broke? But naming it for people meant that I, I didn't have to carry it anymore. I, I'm not saying, shazam, I was healed. It is a long and deeply complicated nonlinear bitch of a beautiful mindfuck, but <laughs> that night was the beginning. And sometimes just beginning is enough. Here's the thing about beginning. You exhale straight into the middle. After you come out, you come out again and again and again. You get disowned and you have to find somewhere to spend the holidays. And the same woman who made you brave opens her home to you. Megan was there for Christmases and concerts and creative collaborations, always armed with the words to beat back my doubts. And now, what do you do when your friend's heart is raw and broken and bleeding right in front of you? What can you say when your friend is devastated and you're stuck behind a goddamn computer screen? A heart reaction just isn't the same. After we told stories, we danced on Zoom, which was weirdly the best dance party I have ever been to. And this is saying a lot because I moved to Chicago when Jesse De La Pena spun weekly at Subterranean. And also, I was at a rave in Boston in 1984 where the warehouse was filled neck high with glow-in-the-dark foam. And that is a very different kind of party than lockdown alone in your living room in 20-fucking-20. 
Now, we all downloaded software that made the DJ set come through our home stereos. I remember a bunch of 80s pop, stuff you could sing along to, and all of us were so scared and so exhausted, and seeing the Zoom squares of second story people dancing made me feel so desperately not alone. My son heard the music and came out of his room. What are you doing? <laughs> he asked suspiciously. He'd spent the past three months watching his mother cry in grandma's basement, and here she was clubbing like Parker Posey in Party Girl, which is a very niche reference, I know. Um, I'm dancing with my friends, I said, and he squatted down in front of my laptop, calling out names of people he recognized on the screen. Amanda, Dia, Nick, Aimee, Mom, he said, someone is typing at you. I sat on the floor next to him, reading red direct messages of what of course were intended as love and support, but the headspace I was in then, oh, I was pity. Oh my God, are you okay? I didn't know. Those things we say to friends when they're hurting. What to say? I can't give her a hug or cook her a meal. All I have are words. She doesn't need sympathy. That's sand drifting in the current. She needed an anchor. I typed the truest words I could think of. In my memory, Cindy Lauper comes through the speakers. <laughs> and I saw Aimee's name. Aimee, who 10,000 years ago was my student, who over the past decade had become my friend and collaborator, who in a few short seconds would hand me back my heart. Their message read, you can't lose a fight about your own life. I looked up at the Zoom squares and found their face. And sure, fine, you can never really know if someone is looking at you through Zoom, but they were. I could feel it straight through the screen and into my ribcage. This story was produced by Casey Truba, curated by Amanda Delheimer, and directed by Elisa Vera Ramos. Music and sound engineering was by Nick Ward. The Second Story podcast is produced by Max Spitz. To be the first to hear about updates and new episodes, sign up for our podcast listserv at 2ndstory.com backslash podcast, or subscribe to the Second Story podcast on SoundCloud or Apple Podcasts. Second Story is located in the traditional homelands of the Council of the Three Fires, the Odawa, Ojibwe, and Potawatomi Nations. Our programming is made possible by the Arts Work Fund, Walter Foundation, MacArthur Fund for Arts and Culture at the Richard H. Driehaus Foundation, Paul M. Angel Family Foundation, Gaylord and Dorothy Donnelly Foundation, Illinois Arts Council Agency, the Department of Cultural Affairs and Special Events, Innovation 80, The Lupo Family, Eric Rothstein and Gina Wamek, Athene Karras and Thomas Applegate, James Lupo, Jessica Wetmore, Hannah and George Stowe, and many generous individuals like you. I'm Max Spitz, and this, this is, is the Second, Second Story Podcast. <laughs>